Okay. You know what I've ready? noticed about these president shows, be it uh, West or West Wing or even Parks and Rec or um, the designated survivor, which I've been enjoying to help me keep perspective that things could always be worse, is a, a lot of oh, them deal with the exact same issues. Like we have not solved anything. It's just got more complicated. I'm Mike Feenit, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Municipal League, and I'm excited to present to you the inaugural OML podcast. Municipal government is the largest sector of government in any state, but it receives the least amount of attention from the media and pundits. I suppose that's because most days it's pretty boring to the outside observer, but the complexity of running a municipality rivals any government or business in the world. In the coming weeks, we'll bring you conversations on interesting topics from interesting people impacting municipal government. There wasn't much debate on our first topic. I don't think any of you will be surprised to hear that we're going to, going to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on municipal government. We could spend an entire day, maybe even a week, talking about this subject. Today, I want to focus on the city of Norman, and our guest is Mayor Bria Clark. But before we welcome Mayor Clark to the podcast, I want to recap a timeline of March 2020, the first month we dealt with the pandemic. On March 6th, Oklahoma's first confirmed COVID case was announced in Tulsa. Almost 10 days later, on the 15th, Governor Stitt announced his first official action in regard to the state's COVID-19 response. He filed Executive Order 2020-07 that declared a health emergency in all 77 counties. On March 16th, the legislature limited public access to the Capitol to only elected officials and essential staff. On March 16th, the city of Norman passed the first emergency declaration limiting public gatherings and closing businesses with high risk of spreading the virus. On March 17th, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt and Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum followed suit passing similar resolutions. So now three of our largest cities have taken monumental steps towards preventing the virus from spreading. On March 17th, Governor Stitt filed a second executive order to include guidelines for, for the general public to avoid larger groups of people and discourage meeting in groups of 10 or larger. These are only recommendations and there was no force of law. At this point in the state, we had 17 confirmed cases. On March 18th, the state election board issued a declaration of election emergency. The declaration asked that all elections scheduled for April 7th be moved to June 30th, forcing numerous municipalities to move their elections. On March 18th, as well, the Tax Commission deferred income tax payments until July 15th. On March 18th, same day, the Small Business Administration announced the rollout of the Small Business Loan Program and Payroll Protection Program. We had an interesting phone call on March 18th at OML from Walmart, effectively for help dealing with municipalities that possibly could have closed Walmart and other grocery stores. This was significant to municipal government because Walmart is the largest driver sales tax in the state. That same day, Governor Stitt signed Senate Bill 661, which dramatically changed the Open Meetings Act to allow for tele and video meetings. On March 19th, Governor Stitt amended his executive order to create an emergency management liaison and enacted certain guidelines for medical professionals. There were 44 confirmed cases in Oklahoma at that point. On that same day, uh, we actually closed the OML offices. And later in that day, we released guidelines to municipalities on how to declare emergencies and establishing emergency ordinances. 
we were receiving hundreds of phone calls at that point on this topic. March 19th was also a very bad day for the state of Oklahoma because that's when Tulsa County recorded the first, uh, reported the first COVID-related death in Oklahoma. On the 21st, Governor Stitt filed his third amendment to the executive order. This amendment was highlighted by allowing nurses with back tax issues to retain their licenses and place limitations on the distribution of certain drugs to prevent hoarding. On the 24th, Governor Stitt filed his fourth amendment. This change was the most dramatic of all his previous amendments. He required that vulnerable citizens over the age of 65 stay in their homes except for essential travel. He banned groups of 10 or more with restrictions. It limited business operations to those only meeting the critical infrastructure definition by the Department of Homeland Security. He also filed an executive memorandum further defining critical infrastructure workers. The next day, he amended that uh, memorandum to include more businesses who could remain in operation. At this point, there were 109 confirmed cases in the state of Oklahoma. On March 24th, the city of Norman approves the first shelter-in-place order for a municipality. The order was made uh, made exceptions for essential activities and set forth clear guidelines uh, to define those activities. On the 27th, Governor Stitt amended his order again for a fifth time. This amendment had a profound impact on municipal law enforcement as the order waived all cleat requirements during the emergency and 30 days after. There were 322 confirmed cases at this point. On the 29th, Governor Stitt filed his sixth amendment. This amendment required that people who enter the state by air from an area with substantial community spread uh, to quarantine for a period of 14 days at the time of entry into the state. That gets us through March. There's a couple of other significant dates that I want to mention. On July 8th, Norman passes the first mask ordinance, and then 10 days later, Oklahoma City passed their mask ordinance. In April, at the or the beginning of April, Oklahoma had 565 confirmed COVID cases and 23 deaths. Additionally, there were 1,229 Oklahomans hospitalized as a result of the virus. But let's flash forward to today. We have 73,313 positive cases, 930 deaths, and approximately 5,300 Oklahomans have been hospitalized. So at this time, I want to welcome our guest today, Mayor Bria Clark. Mayor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we're excited that you're our very first guest uh, of the OML podcast. I feel like being the first has been kind of a theme for me in uh, 2020, for sure. So you heard as I recap the early days of COVID-19, there seemed to be that recurring theme of your city being first to pretty much everything. How was it that you were were able to stay ahead of the curve? I think I was just paying attention. I mean, I, I remember walking into a management meeting on Friday the 13th, which ominous in many ways, and telling our management team, we need to be prepared to, to shut it down and, and issue an emergency declaration. And I watched people visibly shake their heads like this woman is crazy. And then I sat back over the next week and was like, come again? What what were you saying about this bold action? But I often, I'll be honest with you, Mike, I am surprised that I get that question as much as I do. I mean, the United States was very, I think, had a, had a great opportunity to observe what was happening literally around the world and, and have the time to make smart decisions and prepare for what was inevitably going to to hit our our land and now if you look back people are are finding upticks in 
uh, respiratory, lung type related illnesses all the way back to December. So I honestly think it was here longer than we realize. So, I mean, I'll, I paid attention. I connected with our sister cities, which are for, for Norman, Colima, Mexico, Clermont-Ferrand, France, Seca, Japan, and Arezzo, Italy, and, so, and asked them, you know, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? And so I also looked back at history with the 1918 Spanish flu. The people who moved the fastest and tried their best to contain it had the lowest fatality rates and, and were able to pull out of it sooner. So it, there was no question in my mind that we needed to act quickly on this. And I do believe that Norman's quick action helped Oklahoma generally move a little bit faster than it probably would have, which I think saved lives. So I am very proud of, of Norman's bold action throughout this pandemic, but let's be honest, this is just the beginning. We're, we're gonna be with this for a long time. So now is not the time to begin becoming complacent. You know, I have to give you credit. You and I spent numerous hours on Zoom calls with mayors and you were always the vocal mayor to the other mayors saying, it's time to move guys. We need to be doing these things. You're, you're very active in that. Yeah, um, I know uh, we have a Metro Mayor's Group Me where we've been sharing lately. It's what are we going to do about Halloween? You know, it's this whole year, which can I just say, I'm so bitter that Halloween will not be a normal Halloween because it's finally on a Saturday, you know, as a mom of little kids. The day after Halloween is always a disaster, but I digress. So what, are, I, you guys, are, are you okay. guys doing anything specific in Norman for Halloween? Well, currently, my first grader is back in school. I've been very impressed with uh, our elementary school safety procedures where it's like its own little pod. And so we are not trick-or-treating. We are going to have a few people from his class that he interacts with every day uh, come over for a little Halloween party. Me, I've been tested eight times now, still have managed to avoid uh, contracting the coronavirus despite the fact I am at a lot of city events and also work at a university. So I will assure parents that all of us <laughs> will get tested before we invite you over to our home. So it's the weird world we live in, but this is really hard on little kids, you know, it, and I, I acknowledge that. And, you know, during the, the stay at home order, my oldest became a teenager. My youngest lost his first teeth. So major milestones in their lives are occurring throughout this pandemic. And I'm certainly not the only one. And so we're all trying to embrace a new normal, but everything's changing every day. We're learning more about the coronavirus. We're seeing places we need to crack down on. We're waiting for a vaccination. And I try to remain optimistic so we can look back on this and say, we adjusted, we pivoted, and we made it through, and we will. And that's what I, I often tell my residents is we will get through this. And I, I hope we can do it together and stay positive. I, I think one of the interesting discussions about just how municipalities dealt with COVID it revolves around Norman and Stillwater. And you and I, you and I have had this discussion before. Um, you and Mayor Joyce from Stillwater had had um, a different timeline in how you were dealing with the COVID with, with the univer being university cities. Talk about that dynamic and, and how you address that. Well, first of all, there will always be a lovely spirit of Bedlam between Norman and Stillwater, but I have really enjoyed getting to know and work with my counterpart, Mayor Will Joyce. We did a, a fun Bedlam trying to get people to take the census. Uh, he's been fantastic to work with and a huge, I think, asset as we both, as you mentioned, being unique college towns and that situation that it provides, trying to navigate through this. You know, we lost 
20,000 people in our population spring break. And because of that, we also lost uh, revenue that would come from graduation, that would come from OU spring game. We lost on um, not so much college related, but music fest, medieval fair. So Norman is really taking the hit here. And so we had to move quickly to address those young people. But now I think every city, not at, most cities in Oklahoma are pretty much the status quo where the only thing's really changing is the weather. Not so with Stillwater and Norman where 20,000 young people have returned. Our numbers were finally declining with our mask ordinance in place and now they're going the opposite direction. And if you look at the ages of where we're seeing the most of these new cases, it's pretty obvious what the, the change was and what we can point to. And I know that Stillwater is facing the same problem. We also have pretty good football teams. And so we have game days that we're trying to manage. Norman survived its first game day, but there is plenty of room for improvement, which the council will be looking at this upcoming Tuesday. But I had a call with Mayor Joyce earlier this week talking about, okay, well, what did you do? What should I have in place before we even hit game day? Because their first game was delayed. But we also talked about how these young people are a vital part to your local economy. There's no, no denying that. Same thing with game days. Uh, we had a finance committee meeting yesterday that was quite depressing. But the fact that the numbers are going up in our city, despite it being with this special group of people, all of our residents will have consequences, particularly those with residents who have children in schools like I do. We'll find out later today if we will have to go to virtual remote learning, which is a challenge. You know, my eighth grader is thriving with it. My first grader was noticeably different when we put him back in school. And so I'm dealing with a lot of frustration. And I know Mayor Joyce is because Stillwater schools haven't even opened. And you know where that, that town and gown relationship uh, it's symbiotic, you know, well, you can't have one without the other. And Norman was on a good path to, I think, having some of the strongest town and gown relation ever. But now there's, it's very tense again because my kids can't go to school because you can't get, quit going to bars is what I'm hearing regularly right now. But if we close the bars, I mean, it, the challenging part is there's certain areas of town where the young people go, but I don't know if I can single them out. And so if we close all the bars, that'll have a huge negative impact, not only on just business generally, but small businesses, which we have got to support and protect throughout this pandemic. So it's like picking between my children, you know, do I want the economy or do I want to make sure our, our public health is great? But it's worth pointing out, you can't ignore history. And if you look back, all of the science says, if you really want to protect business and your economy, get a hold of the pandemic, quit letting it spike. And we had it. And then again, 20,000 people return to, to the campus and they leave campus, which is what we want them to do. We want them to spend their dollars here. But at this time, I really wish they would stay on campus and order some Grubhub or something like <laughs> it's very, it's challenging and it's not going to get any easier anytime sooner. And we recognize that. So talked a little bit about the campus, but, um, I, I, I know I've been following Norman, so, so I, I might be a little more up to date on, than some of our listeners. listeners. Uh, and I don't think it's really fair to say that um, there was a split decision in Norman on, on the actions that you took. In fact, I, I, I believe that you had a majority of residents who were supportive of the actions that the city took, uh, but you did have some very vocal opposition. And some of those were actually business owners. What was the impact 
that the opponents had on your de decision making process and, and how'd you manage that as a mayor in a city? Well, first of all, I want to take a moment to thank my council. You know, we have a council manager form of government and they supported me throughout the emergency declarations. And then when it came time to put ordinances in place, we have had unanimous votes. I'm involved in many mayors networks right now. And I know for a fact that not all mayors share the support that I have had from my council. And we may not always agree. I mean, we try to be respectful, but you can go back and see we've come head to head, which is what you want. You know, you want good dialogue and conversation, but, but their unwavering support throughout this has made a difference and I get a lot of credit for it, but they deserve as much credit as well. But when it comes to businesses, there are many small business owners on council. So we are very much aware of how we need to support our businesses and a decision to close a business is never made lightly. It's just not because you may get through and let's face it and let's hope that the impacts of COVID-19 in terms of on people is short term. But the long-term financial impact, we're going to feel for a very long time. So I've really done my part and, and made efforts to reach out to uh, our business owners, our chamber of commerce, and you know Scott Martin, uh, former state representative. He is uh, our now president of the chamber. He's involved in all my emergency management calls. He's been a tremendous advocate. You know, visit Norman. We've really tried to get creative in how we can. It's staycation is, is the words right now um, of, of keeping our dollars here. So it has been a team effort. And I know that it's been frustrating. We don't want to see our businesses close, especially the small ones. Again, the ones unique to our community. I've been so impressed with our banking community that would switch their work hours from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. to work through the night to be able to access those loans for our small businesses. I mean, everyone has really come together. And of course, we're, we're going to have some some businesses that don't open their doors again. And I think, sadly, that is unavoidable. But no one ever made a decision to to go after uh, hurting businesses. You know, that's that's not something we want to do, but it's a balance and it is a challenging one. Uh, we had a bond election recently that was very unfortunately not successful. And one of the bonds was a $5 million to go towards economic recovery for businesses and entities that didn't get access to, to federal or state loans. For, for example, Visit Norman, they're a 501c6, did not qualify for PPP. And that's a very important organization to your city because we need, especially in the state of Oklahoma, where I'll say it again, Mike, we're the only state in the nation that ties cities to sales tax the way that we do. <laughs> That's got to change. That's a whole nother podcast. I'll be ready for yes, that one too. Absolutely. Um, but we, we need those tourism dollars. So it is definitely a balancing act and no decisions are made easy. Uh, I have more gray hair than I have ever had in my life. I don't sleep well, but we're doing the best we can. And I will always be proud of the steps and effort that Norman has made in, in battling this COVID-19 pandemic. So Oklahoma I think sometimes we think we're sheltered here in in the middle of the country, but we're not Im immune from the national events. And in the middle of the worst health crisis in almost 100 years, the tragic uh, George, uh, George Floyd killing happened in Minnesota, and it sparked a nationwide movement of protest. It's happened at a really 
bad bad time for municipalities because all of our municipalities or the majority of them were in their budget cycle and just like Norman you were finalizing your annual budget and then you were faced with a Black Lives Matter protest that was really focusing on the Norman police. So talk about what it was like governing through two events simultaneously that most mayors would never experience one of these things in their tenure and you had two of them at the same time. What was that like? Well, you know, they always say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and uh, strife builds character. I'm strong and have plenty of character. So if we could hold off on any other major events while I'm mayor, <laughs> that would be appreciated. But um, it was a challenge, but one that I think we can't shrink away from. I think that the Norman Police Department excels in many ways and, and does a great job, especially compared to other departments here in the state of Oklahoma. But that doesn't mean we can be complacent. That doesn't mean that we don't have room for improvement. And that certainly doesn't mean that we can't reimagine what policing looks like in our city. And so I'm proud to be the city having that conversation. You know, I, I think again, there's always room for improvement, but we also need to recognize what we're doing right. And so we did reallocate funds from the proposed budget. I, I get a little irked when I hear, you know, we defunded the police because they have a higher budget than last year. That is just a fact. And so I think our bold initiative to, again, reimagine what policing looks like in our community and how we can get to the root of, of the, the societal problems that we're seeing, because I find that our police are, are very similar to our teachers. We've asked them to be everything to everyone in every situation, and we've quit funding vital social services. And that goes on the state as well. And we're doing the best we can being as dependent as we are on sales tax. And so if we can get to the root of the problem and affect change and actually improve the job of police by reducing crime because we've helped our citizens at the basic level in supporting their quality of life, why wouldn't you look at that? I think saying, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. One could argue if we could do better, it might be broke. <laughs> so I'm, I'm proud of this council for, again, being bold. Uh, it changes hard. I, I, throughout this, have referred to the fact that we were a sundown town until the 60s. And I'm sure when we quit being a sundown town, people lost their minds and said they weren't going to shop in Norman ever again. And this isn't the city I want to raise my family in. And then you fast forward 60 years from that, and we are thriving compared to what we were in the 60s, that quiet little college town. And so I think this is just our next step and continuing to be uh, ahead of the curve in the state of Oklahoma. Norman has never been afraid to lead the way in this state, and that's what makes Norman so special. Often the controversial things that we do are quite normal <laughs> around the nation. It's just new. And so if someone's got to lead the way in our state to affect real change and actually yeah. improve the lives of Oklahomans, I am proud to be part of that right here in Norman, Oklahoma. I, I through that whole debate, I thought it was terribly unfair on the city and you that people weren't recognizing that you weren't defunding the police. You were making changes to the department. Uh, and that just got lost in, in the noise uh, of, of people sometimes, and I'm, I'll say it, you don't have to, but some, some of the voices I heard coming from Norman were very irrational. And, and we got lost in that. And really the message was maybe there's a way that we can do this better and improve Norman further. And I, I commend you for, for the actions that you took. It was courageous. So I appreciate that, Mike. And what I've told people, you know, I put together a 50 person task force that involves residents, students, 
law enforcement officers, nonprofits, city staff, and we're actually going to be presenting our recommendations to council on September 29th. And what I've told both council and our residents, if you don't like what we're doing, this is not a permanent arrangement. <laughs> we're just being bold enough to try something new, which I think everyone should expect of their elected officials. Absolutely. Um, so kind of wrapping up the discussion today, we're, you know, you alluded to, we've, we've already got through the first football game, the university's back open, your businesses are back open, things are starting. And I, I'm really getting tired of hearing this, the new normal. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't think it's a fair statement, but we're, we're getting to some kind of normalcy right now. And there's some calm in Norman and the rest of the state. And if we make it through November and get through the elections, and I think the one thing that we'll have to focus on is the vaccine. That'll make things better in, in the country and our state. Um, so there is, we can see the horizon at this point. I hope it's not a false horizon, but I think we can see that. So knowing that, what, what, what do you see in the immediate future for Norman? Well, we still have our emergency management meetings once a week, and there's so many unknowns in the fall, you know, because flu returns. I'll tell everyone who's listening right now, please go get a flu shot. You know, we need all of the, the support we can get to protecting our hospital capacity should we have a spike in COVID-19. And the flu is deadly. Let's, let's not ignore that fact. But Dr. Kate Cook with Norman Regional, she's been a phenomenal asset to that emergency management team. And she had pointed out that the countries that just finished flu season in the Southern Hemisphere uh, actually saw lower numbers because people are wearing their masks and social distancing and washing their hands. I don't wanna say more than they should, let's be honest people, as much as you should be washing your hands. And so that gives me hope. You know, we're, we're, I had a great call with the Cleveland County Health Department. We're looking at ways to do drive-through flu shots. Uh, I'd love to see uh, kind of door-to-door flu shots for those who can't leave their homes. So there is a lot of unknowns, but there is one known that I hold on to and that I actually started a letter writing campaign because people are stuck at home and dealing with anxiety and you have to acknowledge the mental health issues that we're also dealing with right now. Uh, it's letters to, letters to Oklahoma. And I often say in there, the, the one guarantee I can make you is that this will pass. And as you said, this is not the new normal. This is us charging along uh, getting to the new normal because there will be lots of great changes that come from COVID-19. And that is very difficult to say, seeing our, our casualty rate continue to rise. But uh, as with every major world event, world wars, pandemics, our society has moved forward and great things come from that. And many of that often deals with equality, uh, technological advancements. I'm really hoping we'll have more protections for the environment after this because we've seen, you know, animals return, coral, is start, nature start thriving. It's, it's very exciting. So I, I tell people, hold on to that. You know, make your list of things you're going to do after COVID-19. I'm going to spend a week with my grandma and hug her as much as I want. <laughs> I've seen her once from a distance this whole time, and that woman is a huge influence on my life, so that's been incredibly difficult. I'm going to host a big dinner party. It's going to be great. Maybe a murder mystery. Haven't decided yet. I'm going to spend a day in a movie theater. I mean, make your list because this is not the new normal. This is, this is what we have to go through to get there. This is not the first pandemic this world has been through. We will get through it. But how will you look back on how you acted during this pandemic? And will you be proud of it? Will you say, I wore the mask as much as I hated it, I wore the mask. Uh, I did social distance. I, I reduced my circle of people that I interacted with. 
I donated to those in need. There are so many ways where you can feel proud of who you are at this time. And so again, when we get to the end of it and you look back, you can be like, yeah, I did it right. Same thing with cities. Don't wait to en enact the policies that will save lives and protect your businesses. Because the sooner we get a hold of this, the stronger our economy will be. And that is a fact. And that is why Norman acted quickly, because we are looking at the long game here. So I know everyone's getting COVID-19 fatigue. I sure am. Uh, but we gotta, we gotta stay strong. We're Oklahomans. You know, we are resilient. We are meant for this. Uh, we should be doing the best in the nation right now. I mean, we look out for each other. They're, the phrase, the Oklahoma standard is real. I know people are questioning that right now, but I don't. It's there. It is. And I, and I hold on to that as well. So I don't have answers as to when this will be gone, but my one, one guarantee that I can make anyone listening today is it will pass. It will. And we all have to stick together. Well, I, I think that's probably a good a good place to to wrap up our first uh, our first podcast because that was passionate, it was courageous, and I loved it. I uh, really enjoyed uh, speaking with you today, Mayor Clark, and I'm excited you were our first guest. So thanks for well, being here. It really is an honor, and Mike, I want to thank you and the Oklahoma Municipal League and all of your staff for being such a phenomenal resource during this unprecedented you know, disaster upon disaster that we've all stuck together with. I've never felt more camaraderie with my fellow Oklahoma mayors, but the resources that you've provided and the access to uh, both the governor and our federal delegation has been invaluable. And I really do think it's made a difference. So you should be very proud of the leadership you provided to us to help us get Oklahomans through this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, that wraps up our inaugural OML podcast. So I want to thank everybody for listening and stay tuned with us. We'll have more guests over the coming weeks.